But it's Christmas. We're here and we're in this, uh, this series now, uh, Voices of Christmas. And it's kind of a, um, a little bit different take than we normally would have around Christmas. Rather than just sticking with one story or one text, we're looking at a bunch of different uh, voices that, that have these perspectives about Christmas. And last week we heard about the prophet Isaiah, and Chris did a great job kind of going through the whole book and, and really everything that was prophesied about the coming Messiah. And today we're going to take a look at a, a priest named Zechariah and his experience in, with Christmas. And such a unique experience in that it wasn't just the, the Son of God that, that gave him great significance, but his own son, uh, John the Baptist, that gave it a, a unique take on it. And as you might know in the story of Zechariah, he spent much of the Christmas story unable to speak. And then when he finally was able to speak, he shared a beautiful song that we'll be studying today. So we'll be looking at the song of a silent priest. It's in the book of uh, Luke chapter 1. And oftentimes, you know, we, we take the Christmas story for granted. That it just kind of happened, right? We know the whole story and we assume that everyone just kind of knew it would happen the way it happened. Uh, but as we see and we, when we really look through, through their lens that even with all the prophecies and the promises of God, uh, the Christmas story happened in a way that not many people really thought it would. And it took them somewhat by surprise. And today's story is one that reminds us of the importance of really just taking God at his word. That when he says he's going to do something, even if it doesn't make sense to you, that you should believe it. And you should hold on to that with confidence. So it's ironic that we're studying this, this uh, song today, The Voices of Christmas. Again, a man who didn't have a voice for uh, nearly a year. But what we're going to read today is that he knew the coming uh, of his son would be important, his own son, John. But the coming of the Messiah would be even more important. That everything was about to change and that God was going to make good on all of his promises. And here we are, 2,000 years later, really living in the life after that moment that we can be made complete and whole in God through his son, Jesus. So we're going to pick up uh, here. We're actually going to put a little more context in it and start reading uh, in chapter, uh, sorry, verse 57, just to get a little bit of text before that. But before we read, let's just take a moment, bow our hearts together in prayer. So God, we thank you for the Christmas story, for the coming of your son and how it's, it's totally changed the trajectory of this world, that life is, is completely different now that your son has come than, than before. And so we're, remindful of, we're mindful of those who have been waiting a long time in their whole lives and were experiencing uh, the coming of your son in their own lifetime. And think about this perspective of how, how everything is changing and happening so quickly. Uh, but God, I pray today that we would just hold on to the fact that you've come. That we would know what it means for each of us individually, for us as a church. That it truly has changed everything. That we can be a people thankful that you sent your son. Knowing that he is the only way to salvation and the forgiveness of sins. So God, I pray that this story would just come alive in us, that you'd fill us with awe and with wonder of all that you've done, and even more, all you have left to do. So God, just bless this time and speak to us all through your Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, this is going to be a bit of text here, so 
Uh, we're going to start at 57 and, and read all the way through 80. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets, of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew, and became strong in the spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. You know, for a silent priest, he sure had a lot to say. And you almost wonder, uh, for the better part of a year, this, this man who couldn't say anything was thinking about what he wanted to say. And now we have this moment where his son John was born, and his tongue was set free, and we have this beautiful song of praise and prophecy. But before we really study that song, I think it's worth just taking a look back. Uh, maybe some haven't heard the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John for some time. Maybe this is your first time hearing it, but what happened nine months prior is, is, is pretty amazing and an important part of this whole story. And so we're going to take a look back and just kind of do a Cliff Notes review uh, of what happened and how we got here. But Zechariah, the priest, was married to Elizabeth. And as we know earlier in the chapter, they were very old in age, but they were also very righteous in the sight of the Lord, that they had great faith. And Zechariah was a priest who would work on rotation. And they, they'd do this in, in eight-day stints, where they kind of draw names of who would go and work at the temple. Very long and exhausting hours. 
But here he is in one of his rotations. He's going into the temple to light incense alone. And then an angel appears. An angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and, and tells him a lot of things, but we're just going to take a look at kind of the, the top four most important things that he, that he kind of lays on Zechariah right now in this moment. And the first he says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayers concerning a child. That even in your wife's old age, she will conceive and deliver a son, and you're going to name him John. And that he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And he will bring many to the Lord and prepare the way for the Messiah. I had to take a moment after saying all that. So we have all of this just as kind of uh, dumped on Zechariah, who's not anticipating this. And now he says to the angel, essentially, that, that was a lot. Uh, could you give me a sign so I know for sure this is true? All right, and this is kind of one of those moments. Zechariah was a man of great faith, but he had this, this slight moment of doubt and hesitancy to accept everything that was just told him. And it's easy for us to kind of armchair quarterback this and say, come on, Zechariah, have a little faith, right? But when you really understand all that was told to him and you see it through his perspective, it's understandable that he could kind of wrestle with this. Because it wasn't that like this bomb was dropped on him. This is like a 500-foot meteor that just like crashed through the center of his life. And just hearing that you're going to be a daddy at like 60 or 70 years old is enough to kind of turn your life upside down. But he's, he's wrestling through so much more. So let's just take a moment to see it through Zechariah's perspective to understand why he would be having a hard time grasping this. And the first thing is that an angel appeared. Okay, an angel appearing, uh, we often think of it as this kind of tranquil, tranquil, peaceful moment where the harps are playing. Uh, but in the New Testament, especially when an angel appeared, it was a moment that was jarring and frightening. And so the very first words that were actually spoken to Zechariah is much like any other moment. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then he goes on to say, God has heard your prayers concerning a child. Now, when we understand prayer, it's hard not to see it uh, through kind of an earthly context. And we, we live in a results-oriented world, right? So when we're working for something or we're asking for something and, and we don't get the results we want, we usually kind of give up, and usually pretty quickly. And what we know through the, through the scriptures is that when it comes to prayer, God hears every single prayer that we offer in faith. And he answers every single prayer. Sometimes we forget that a loving and wise answer of God is no, or not yet, or not in the way that you're asking. And that's what Zechariah has been hearing his whole life. He, he and his, his uh, wife are without a child. All right, so he's still maybe praying about this, but not praying with such faith anymore because he's seeing the evidence around him that's just not likely without some great miracle. And now the angel is saying, God did hear your prayer, and it will be answered. Now, it's understandable on this moment. Uh, when we, we read the, the Greek here for very old, it's probably 70 plus. It's at least 60, but probably 70 to 80. And so in their minds, this whole child thing, that, that ship has sailed, 
right? It didn't just sail. That ship has sunk halfway across the ocean, and there's no way they're going to consider a child. But the angel said, you heard your prayer. You're going to have a son, and his name is going to be John. Right, that's just enough right there for any reasonable person to say, how do I know this is for real? But wait, there's more. Right now, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be like a prophet in the land that's going and preparing the way. There's no prophet in this land for 400 plus years. And the last one to prophesy was Malachi, who, by the way, prophesied that there would be someone who would come to prepare the way before the Messiah. So now he's like, okay, wait a second. So the Messiah is coming, like, right now, and my son, who I didn't know I was going to have two seconds ago, is going to be the one who's prophesied to prepare the way for the Messiah I just learned was coming. You get the idea here. This is a lot of stuff to unpack for Zechariah. And he's having a hard time just believing the angel at his word. So he says, you know what, to be safe, why don't you just give me a sign that all of this stuff is for real? And essentially, the angel said, yeah, I'll give you a sign. <laughs> You're not going to be able to talk until all of this stuff has come to pass. Not just the birth of your son, but even the, the naming of your son, John, which, as we just read, was not a name in the family tree. And it kind of shocked everyone. But when he wrote on the tablet, his name will be John. His tongue was released, and he was free to speak and he gave this beautiful song that we're going to study today. The song of really that, that split into three major themes. And you would assume that when, when John, or sorry, when Zechariah got his voice back, he's finally going to exclaim how excited he is to be a father. You'd assume this is all going to be about his son, John. But he actually spends the first major portion of this, this text, verses 68 through 75, talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus. And he's really uh, offering his praises for the coming Messiah. And we can't go through all the text this morning here, but as we look at the first three verses, it's clear. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. It's clear he's talking about the Messiah here because neither he nor his wife were from the house of David. We, we read earlier in the text, the text that they're both from the house of Aaron. And here we see that he's, he's praising and thanking God for the Messiah that's finally coming. Now, to come to his people, as we read here, this is actually really common Old Testament talk. And it didn't always mean that God would physically come to his people. In this situation, it, it does mean that, literally, that, that Jesus is coming physically to earth. But it really meant that when, when God would come to his people, it meant that he didn't forget them. He didn't abandon them. And that he was there for them. And what had happened in this time period is that, as we just said recently, that there's 400 years without a prophet it was a time that many of the Jewish believers kind of viewed as, as this time of silence, prolonged silence. And a lot of people of this moment kind of just gave up on this whole Messiah thing, that God must have just abandoned them 
and forgot them. And Zechariah is saying, praise be to God, as soon as he gets his voice back, that God didn't forget his people, and that he came, that he did everything just as he said he would through his prophets of long ago. And it's amazing to really uh, understand the amount of prophecies that were fulfilled when Jesus came as he came. That everything that had been uh, spoken about him had come true. Things a thousand years prior are now coming true when Jesus came just as they said it would. It's this praise that God doesn't forget his people. And something we can hold on to today that no matter how it, it feels or how you perceive things or, or what you might expect that would happen, that God works things out he, in his own time and he, he always keeps his promises. And he came to redeem the people. And redemption is a word that is often lost on us. We, we might think of it as simply just saving someone. But it has much greater uh, meaning than that. It means saving at a cost or rescuing at the highest price. And we can see the price that Jesus paid kind of on the other side of this story, the high price he paid for us all. But it's, it's this moment, this reminder for all of us that we shouldn't take this, this Christmas story for granted. And that when Jesus came, it, it wasn't because we deserve it or we were owed it. But he did it under his own will, and he did it at the highest price for our redemption. I always remember and appreciate the price that Jesus paid. And that's what we're going to be doing later in their service today as we, as we partake of communion with one another, is to remember the sacrifice he made for our redemption. That he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And, and a horn in, in this context speaks of something of great power, like the horn of a bull. And so he, he came as a mighty savior, something that the world had never seen before. And he's offering a praise to God, the mighty savior and redeemer, redeemer has come. You know, so often we... We just take this Christmas story for granted, as I said. And one of the gifts Mason got this year was one of those little Fisher-Price um, nativity sets, the little people nativity sets, and it's kind of cute, and it's, it's kind of a toy along with the nativity set, and it's got this little perching, put the angel above uh, the stable, but it also has room to put the cow up there and, and the wise men, and he put the baby Jesus on there, and, and he had fun with that, right? And you kind of lose this idea of, of how amazing the manger scene really is. Uh, and we do that so often. You see the cartoons and the cute cards. But do you ever just stop and just really think about how amazing the Christmas story is? Not just taking it for granted, but knowing that the creator of the universe comes as a baby in the stomach of a woman he created to breathe air for the first time, to take on flesh as fully God and, and fully man, to experience everything we've experienced, to learn how to walk and to eat solid foods, and to grow up with all the ranges 
of emotions and, and, and physical hardships to experience everything we do, even death. And more specifically, the terrible and atrocious death that we deserve, the creator of the universe took upon himself. I mean, that's what the manger scene really is. It's the start of that whole journey. And we lose this perspective of how amazing that Christmas story is. And here, before that even happened, Zechariah is taking a moment to say, thank you, God. Praise to you, God, that you're actually doing this like we hoped and believed you would for so many years it's happening. And for us, we can say, thank you, God, that that happened. And how amazing that is. Don't take the Christmas story for granted. I know what that means for us today, and we're going to just skip forward a, a couple of verses here, into 74 and 75, that because he came, he was able to rescue us from our enemies, and then enables us to serve him without fear, in holiness, and in righteousness before him all our days. Do you get that? Because he came, we're able to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness. And that has nothing to do with us and our courage and our faith, but rather what Jesus has done for us and in us and through us. Because he came, our whole lives and our whole eternities are different. That he gives us the strength and the courage. That he gives us his holiness and awards to us his righteousness that we can be before him all our days. That's what the Christmas story is about. Why he took a moment to praise God for the Messiah and why we should do the same. Because he came, everything changed. Now, as you might suspect, he takes a moment to talk about his son. And this is just a couple of quick verses. But he talks about the purpose of his, his son John's life and everything that he's going to be uh, able to do through the strength of the Holy Spirit. And core to our belief as Christians is that every life is sacred. That every person is born on purpose and with purpose. Now the difference is that we often don't know uh, what our purpose is going to be. And I remember as, as a young boy, I would dream of what would happen in my life, what I would do. I actually never thought this would be the case. All right? And then I, I'm experiencing the same thing now with my own son. I dream about who is he going to be? What is he going to do? What's his family going to be like? And I, I pray that he'll be a, a, a man after God's heart that he serves him. Well, Zechariah was in an interesting position because he knew exactly the purpose of his son's life and what he would do when he, got, when he grew up. And so he, he, he can almost imagine this moment where he's holding his son and he's saying, and you, my son, will be called a prophet of the Most High and you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. You give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's an amazing moment to have as a parent and something that was given to him. And we understand that, that as a prophet of the Most High, this was of great significance. 
that for this nation of Israel who largely had wandered and, and given up their faith that the Messiah would come, now he would be filled with the Spirit to go out and say, the Messiah is here. And that he would help people back to repent of their sins and to be, to be ready for the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus. This helpless, helpless and, and, and miraculous baby was already called a prophet. That he'd go before the Lord to bring back those who had wandered. Now, because of the ministry that John had, there, there were many who tried to vault him up as the Messiah. And what's clear here from Zechariah's words and through all of John's own words through the New Testament is, I'm not the guy. Okay? I'm not the guy. I'm just the one to show you the way to the guy. And we see this moment as they're uh, wrestling through these things. John's disciples now see Jesus kind of uh, raising up and baptizing his own disciples. And they have this moment of like, John, uh, who's that guy, Jesus? And is that the guy that you were talking about? Or like, okay, what do we, where do we go here? And, and in John 3, verse 28, this is, this is the heart of John that's the same as what his father had told him would happen. And so John says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. And now that joy is mine, and it is now complete. So essentially what he's saying is, I've been waiting for this moment, and it's here. Jesus is here. And he goes on to say, he must increase, I must decrease. John fulfilled exactly the role and the purpose that his father said would happen. That he would go before the Messiah and he would not save them, but he would point them to the knowledge of salvation, to the forgiveness of sins. He would point them to Jesus. And that's an amazing moment, I'm sure, as a parent to know the great impact your child would have in this world. And I think that's kind of a, a great lesson for us is that our greatest purpose in life, right, is to usher people to the feet of Jesus, to point them to Christ, that we don't have to do any of the saving or the forgiving and thank God that's the case, but we simply bring them to Jesus, the one who can, to share, to point, and encourage. The last part of this song is is pretty cool too. It really kind of outlines the, the plan of salvation and all that would be coming uh, through, through Jesus, just these last couple of verses. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. And this tells us a lot about the salvation that comes through Jesus. I mean, this, after all, is the reason he came was to, to save us. That was the purpose of Jesus' coming. And first we understand that salvation is rooted uh, really in the mercy and the grace of God. Salvation is something we were not owed. But really what we deserved was death. 
Now, mercy is simply escaping or avoiding what you truly deserve. And that's what Jesus did for us, was to take that death upon himself. And we'll never understand how little we deserve this. Okay, we can, we can sort of see it, but we'll never see the whole picture. But let that sink in when it comes to the Christmas story. This is all rooted in God's tender and great mercy. We also understand that salvation is rooted in his faithfulness in us. And, and we see here this idea that the rising sun will come to us from heaven. It's almost like this like rising sun coming from heaven. What does that mean? Well, rising sun isn't talking about literally here, but, but the rising sun in this time was seen as, as, as an idea of faithfulness. That moment that no matter how long and dark and difficult the night would be, the sun would always rise in the morning. And the same is true here of, of this promise of God that no matter how long it seemed, he was faithful. And the same is true in our salvation that God doesn't do anything halfway. Right? And what he starts, he finishes. And when he starts this great work in you, he will finish it. And salvation is also rooted in our deep, in our utter need of him. It says that he is coming to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now we see this uh, often throughout the Christmas story, that there's this great light coming into the darkness. In John chapter 1, we, we, talk, we, we, we see this word that, that comes, becomes flesh, that is this great light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. That light is Jesus, and he's shining into a dark world. And for too long, people were walking in this darkness of sin and of death. And now we read that there's this light from heaven that's coming down for us, that salvation is because we desperately need the light. Without Jesus, we are lost. We are blind and we are walking toward death. And this is exactly as it was prophesied in long ago, Isaiah 9-2, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The point here is that Jesus came into a sinful world. He came for people living in darkness. And in his own words, he did not come for the righteous. He came for the sinner. That's why Jesus came. It's because we have sinned. And because he's come, the salvation results in this everlasting and, and true peace, as we see in that, that last part, that he guides our feet into the path of peace. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah as well. And there truly is this unexplainable peace that comes in knowing Jesus. It's found nowhere else in this world. And I think oftentimes we try to replicate it or we, we try to emulate it ourselves. It, it doesn't work. The only place we find true peace is in Jesus. And that's the result of our salvation in him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And that light of the world shines brightly in the darkness 
to the point that no darkness could overtake it. And even now, when you put your faith in Jesus, no matter where you are in life, he pulls you out of the darkness and into the light, out of your sin and guilt and shame and into a path of everlasting peace. That's the beauty of the Christmas story and the words that are spoken of Zechariah here as he sees and understands all that is going to come. These are the words that were given of this silent priest about his miraculous son. And it wasn't an opportunity just to brag about his son. He knew that God was up to something much greater than the miracle that happened in his own life. He really was sharing about the Savior. And certainly his son had a special purpose, right? He had this, this commission given to him by God. But his life, John's life, would have been meaningless if Jesus hadn't come. His whole purpose was swept up in Jesus. And in that way, we're not so different than John, right? John certainly had this mission to go before the Lord. It's something no one's going to have to do again, because when Jesus comes back, you know, he's going to make it pretty evident all on his own, right? But just like John, our story is kind of meaningless without Jesus. Why are we created? What's our purpose? Well, God created us so that we could know him and that we could love him. And that is not possible without his son, Jesus. Because it's Jesus who restores us into right relationship with God. The whole purpose of your existence is to bring glory to him. And it's only made possible because Jesus came. It's the amazing part of the Christmas story. It's to know that even today, we're, we're kind of part of that story. That he's here that he gives us purpose, and he gives us meaning. But as we're going to be remembering uh, today is, is that humbling realization that, that as, as amazing as the cradle was, is that he was born in the shadow of the cross, that Jesus came with the specific purpose and mission to be a sacrifice for our sins. And it's humbling, and it's something that, that brings us into reverence as we remember it, as we will in a moment. And one scripture that was kind of rolling through my mind this week, I think, how do we transition from birth into death in a service? It's a beautiful portion of scripture in Philippians 2 that talks about the humility Christ exemplified when he came to this earth. That Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus came with great purpose, and he didn't go halfway. He went further than anyone could have ever expected him to go that he experienced our death. He humbled himself into a place of servanthood for us all, that he took even the most despicable death, the death of a criminal on a cross. And he did that for you. He did that because 
He loved you. That's what we remember is that sacrifice for all of us when we take communion. If you're, if you're new here today, just a, a couple of uh, overarching ideas with communion so you know what it is we're doing. Well, first, this is, this is not just for members of our church. This is for anyone who believes in Jesus to partake in this. We are going to have a moment where we can pass the plate for you to um, share communion that way. We also have prepackaged uh, in the foyer if you prefer that way. And we'll have a moment you can squeak out and, and grab it if you need. But we also believe that the bread and the cup are, are purely symbolic. They are, they are tools that, that Jesus has given us to remember what he has done. And that this really is a reverent time for us to, to just kind of quiet ourselves, to silence ourselves, and to really remember and reflect on all that had happened. And that's what we're going to do in a moment here, is that, that as you take communion, it's, it's a time that leads to reflection. As you really think about two overarching things. First is, is what he's done. What did Jesus really do in this sacrifice? And think about that. And the second is just your own heart, your own life. And, and just kind of have that moment, silent moment with the Lord to just confess any sin that's hanging out there. To maybe ask him if there's something more you should be doing. Because sometimes the sin of omission or not doing things is as bad as the sin of commission. But just take that moment with God, that silent time before him. Just praise him for what he's done and reflect on your, on your own heart. So let's just take a minute or two together in silence as we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, I thank you for this time to really remember and appreciate the whole span of your life here on earth as you came and you came in the most miraculous of ways and that you died uh, god in the most humbling of ways uh, but what's most amazing to us is that the story is not over that the death is only temporarily that you conquered that death, that you are alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father, and you live through each and every one of us. So God, I pray in this time that as we remember the forgiveness of sins we receive through the shedding of your blood, that we don't take that for granted, that we are thankful and appreciative of all you've done. God, that we have this great faith of all you have left to do. So God, help us to be a people of great faith, that we can take you at your word, that we can rest in your promises, God, because as we remember what you've done for us on the cross, we know that you wouldn't uh, leave us halfway anywhere else, God, that you are going to do exactly what you said you were going to do. So God, in this Christmas season, just fill us again in, in just this awe and this wonder of all you've done, that you've come to be the light of the world. And Lord, may we shine that same light outward in this season, that we would be your light now. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.